0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. It is good to be here this morning. Let's get the, the band of hands. How good are they? Man. They're the best they are the best, how are we this morning? Are we good? fantastic? Has everyone had their second coffee? No, who needs their second coffee on this wintry morning? Did anyone hit the snooze button and just be like it's too good to get up, yeah, I did <laughs> anyway oh, it's, sometimes it's like, yeah, I deserve to hit the snooze button, like the sound of rain and comfy bed. Oh, it is so good it's short lived for parents, I understand. Um, Kids, wake up. Are they all, yeah, it's good they wake up, right? It is good to be with you this morning. It, um, you guys are awesome. I love being here with you guys. And um, we, we just, I just feel, this morning we got here and we were greeted with like 15 umbrellas. It was amazing. How good is the welcome team? They're just like, umbrellas galore. It's like, come on. Yeah, let's give the welcome team a hand. It's... um. It's amazing, just like the little, the little clip Pastor Beck was talking about before, about see through Victory Centre, just the, the stuff people are doing. Uh, you know, sometimes we only see things on a Sunday service, but I love that the heart and the core of our church is that people are serving God when people aren't even, they're not, it's not in the spotlight. It's, you know, it's not to be seen, that, but they're serving God and they're serving people. They're loving God, they're loving people, and that we are, we're serving our community, that is exactly what Jesus has called us to do, to serve and to love our community. Like, not just sing songs and have messages on Sunday, which is awesome. I love singing songs and worship. But the fact that we are out there during the week as a community, as a church, we should be so proud to be part of this community, that we are absolutely having an impact in the lives of our community and the people around us. And I think that's, that's super powerful that you like are seeing uh, these women um, get so comfortable with you that they can take off their, their headpieces, I'm not sure what it's called, um, and be in their sparkly tops and tights, like that's amazing, and that is a, that's powerful testimony. So um, yeah, thank you for everyone that just works so hard and serves God, it's good, it is good. Who's been, who enjoyed last week, by the way? Who was, who was here last week for Pastor Dan Gori? the beginning of our 10-week journey who loved, I love these 10-week journeys. Like this is an awesome 10-week journey. Boom, we're in the week two. But Pastor Dan last week kicked off the, uh, the book of James. So if you weren't here, we're in the book of James this morning. So you can open up to the book of James. We're actually in chapter one still. Uh, but we're going to be kicking off in verse 19. So if you want to flick there or press the screen there, um, let's get ready. But last week, Pastor... Uh, did I say Pastor James? I meant Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan, we're in the book James. I thought I got confused for a second. Pastor Dan kicked off the series um, with the introduction of James. And um, man, Pastor Dan is such a good communicator. I mean, he is phenomenal. He's he's. I'm kind of like he he could remember he can remember scripture without looking. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. I cannot remember a thing half the time. Ask my wife. Um, but he kicked off with, uh, we quite, I love the book of James because it's it's a bit of a, it's a challenging book. It's kind of a, it's a it's a bit of a punch in the guts kind of book. And I, I don't know about you, but I love a bit of a punch in the guts. I love like, like James is kind of being our personal trainer in this moment, in this book. He's not kind of, he's not being our person. Uh, I don't know, our psychologist or our best friend that's just giving us some encouraging words. He's doing that, but he's kind of saying, this book has the attitude of a personal trainer. And it's it's kind of like, hey, this is what you need to hear. This is what um, I need to say. This is some good stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge us a little bit and it's going to rub us the wrong way, but we need to hear it. We need to hear it and we need to let God do a work in us as we hear it. It's one of those challenging books that kind of, it has a lot of, hey, it has a lot of action involved in our faith. It has a lot of doing involved in our faith. And, the, and to kick it off, Pastor Dan uh, talked about trials and temptations, the need to persevere in the circumstances of life. And we know that life just has circumstances. We know that life is just tough sometimes. And I mean, that's putting it lightly compared uh, to the some things that we go through. But God is with us and God is forming something in us through the trials and God is doing a work amongst the trials and He will bring us through. He might not completely remove us from the trial or make the circumstances perfect for us just to walk on through, but He is forming something through us and He will take us through the other side. I remember, and I'm not, we're not preaching on this part, but I remember back in high school, this is before Jess and I were dating, Jess was the school captain and Jess would get up in front of assembly and this is before, Jess was a year above me, and, uh, and she would get up in front of assembly and do like a devotion. And this is before we even knew each other, but I remember sitting down on the hard timber floor, and Jess was uh, doing a devotion for the school, and she said, if God brings you to it, He's going to bring you through it. And it just like stuck with me like for a long time, and that's why I started dating her, you know? No, it wasn't. I remember seeing her preaching or whatever, and I was like, oh, she's too good for me. Um, but it worked out. She's not too good for me. She is way too good for me. So God will bring you through it. And just to recap on the context of the book of James this morning, because context, as Pastor Keith likes to say, context is king. Context is king because we can often read Scripture into our context, which is a little bit dangerous because obviously wasn't written into our context. So to understand the context can allow us to understand the writer's intention and God's intention so that we can then apply it to our context. And so the book of James, James was a half brother of Jesus, half brother of Jesus. His Hebrew name was Jacob, uh, but he obviously I oh went with James. And uh, This was one of the first books or the first letters, sorry, written to the newly established Christian Jewish community. This was one of the first letters, the first kind of instructional letters to this brand new community. And this community was made up of um, Jews who are now following Jesus. They've been radically converted. I mean, you could imagine they are, they're seen as like these radical people. Jesus has been crucified, he rose again, showed himself to a a bunch of people, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there's this new bunch, this new crew of Christians who have kind of defected from a former way of life. A very religious kind of way of life. And they're radical. They're kind of fringe now. And there's this new community and they're trying to figure out how to do this thing called following Jesus, how to extend the kingdom of God like Jesus, you know, had commanded them to and stuff like that. And they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have, they had Old Testament, they had Torah, they had law, they had everything that they came from. But they're in this new space of like, we don't know, we kind of don't know how to, what's happening. And they didn't have the scriptures that we have now. And this is James, who was also radically converted, now kind of sharing about, uh, in James, it's a kind of a whole bunch of fractured, it seems like fractured kind of proverbs and sayings that make up this book. But what James, he's kind of like the personal trainer. He's kind of like their leader in the moment. And he's saying, hey, this is how we've got to conduct ourselves. Because this group of people are under fierce persecution. They've just started following Jesus and they're under persecution and pressure from their, their form, the former religious establishment. They're not happy, obviously, with what's happening. Um, I could imagine maybe, I'm not too sure, I didn't look into it, but Saul could have still been out kind of leading some persecution in the church. So they're under this pressure from their former way of life and they live under the regime of the Roman government, uh, which is a hierarchy based on you know rich people and Poor people were just kind of put under people's feet. So they're living in a time where it feels like everything is against them. Everything's against them. These people that used to be their friends, definitely against them. The culture that they live in, against them. Nothing is for them. Nothing is really kind of helping them along their journey. And James here is giving us instruction on how to operate as believers in this kind of climate. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we're in a similar kind of climate. I mean, we're not under physical persecution. We've got a pretty good in Australia. I mean, we're pretty comfy. Like, we can't complain about too much. But we definitely live in a culture that is not for us. And we definitely feel the pressure of this culture saying, we don't want to hear what you've got to say. We we will be we actually will be verbally violent against what you have to say. We'll call you bigots. We'll call you you know there is a, a sense of pressure and persecution when it comes to our faith that we live under. You you even you just have to watch the project or listen to Triple J's hack to see how they treat Christians. They don't even treat Christians with common courtesy and conversation and uh, you know debate. Like they just cut people off. And we live in a similar kind of culture with pressure, and so this is James, James chapter one, uh, verse nineteen. We're going to go through to the end of chapter one, and chapter one is really a collection. Um, like I, oh, sorry, the book of James is a collection of proverbs, but chapter one really is an introduction into a bunch of the ideas and themes that we're going to find from uh, chapter two through to five. And so here we go. Are we ready? It's going to be up on the screen. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. It's intense, James, moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Whew, what a passage! Oh, my goodness. James, is, he's a straight shooter. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets straight to the point. And as I mentioned, it's kind of a punch in the guts. But sometimes I think, you know, it's good. It's a good kind of punch in the guts. Especially Oh, no, we're in February. Oh, my goodness. I was going to say, especially in January, the start of the year. But no, resolutions are out the window, right? We're not going to the gym anymore. Gym membership forfeited. All kinds of things. No. This is a big passage, and there is a lot to unpack. And I kind of just I want to unpack the main ideas in this passage this morning. And, and really, this sets the stage for the rest of the book of James. This really sets the stage for the thematic um, ideas that James brings across. But he's full on. And so we see that there are kind of, if you look, can see in your Bible, there's kind of three sections to this scripture. It opens with James saying, hey, be quick to listen. Slow to speak is slow to anger. And then he gives kind of a little bit in the middle with an illustration about a mirror. And then at the end, he says, hey, this kind of religion is worthless. But, hey, do it like this. It's going to be better. And so there's these three moments that we see happening in the Scripture. And first off, James kind of has a, he comes out of uh, talking about trials and temptations. And he says, take note of this. Be quick to listen. Another contextual thing we have to understand is that because this community was under pressure and persecution, they were tempted out of their emotions and kind of just like out of anger of the injustice that was happening to them to kind of get violent, to obviously say some things they probably shouldn't. They didn't know what to do in this moment. They're feeling the pressure and the emotion of the injustice They want to kind of explode with anger. They want to explode with frustration. They don't know what else to do. They're just frustrated and angry. And so, right off the bat, James says, "Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen." Who know? At at a party, who's ever experienced the uh, the the kind of people that um, the one-uppers? The one-uppers, like the people that have a better story than you all the time, like they're not quick to listen. You know, they, they're kind of, they're not listening. They're waiting for you to finish your story so they can launch in with their story. They just want to one-up your story. I have been guilty of this. I can be a one-upper sometimes. I just love telling stories. And um, and I don't know about you, but I'm a shocking listener. Ask my wife, Jess. I am absolutely, I'm a, I'm a shocking listener. My name, Simeon, actually means li- one who listens. Like, that's the meaning of my name. And Jess is like, no, that prophetic name has not come true. I've got, I swear I've got like ADD, AHD, HD or something, and I just can't focus. I can't be still. I can't sit down at a table and like, Listen and have a conversation. I'm like, I just can't do it. I need to, I got one of those fidget things that work. So, whenever my boss needs to talk to me, I just grab it and so I can play with it. And like, this helps me focus. Or, or, like, our best conversations happen in the car when we're driving because half my brain is distracted on not crashing into things. Therefore, the other half can actually focus on a conversation. I don't get it. But I mean, I'm sure there's some people out here that are very similar to me, but I'm not quick to listen. I'm learning. I'm still in process. This is really speaking to me. Um, But James says be quick to listen. Be quick to to sit back, soak it all in, soak in the moment, observe what's going on. You could imagine these Jewish people, they feel like they want to react. James is saying, don't react. He's saying, sit back, be a listener. Be a listener. These people are... Per- listen. understand. Maybe put yourself in the other person's shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what's going through. Maybe just sit back and listen to understand a different point of view. Maybe we need to be quick to listen, not just to this other point of view, but we need to be quick to listen so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. We need to create space so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. We need to be quick to listen. We need to control our desires. Listen first. Be a listener. Don't rush in. Lean in. Understand. Observe the person. Listen to the Spirit of God, because He might have something to say that's better than what you've got to say. I think Jesus is a perfect example of this. Jesus was quick to listen in the sense that, I mean, He is God, and He came to earth, and He dwelt among us. Listening is loving people. Jesus dwelt among us, felt the pains, understood the the things of life that people are going through. He listened. He did life with people. He had dinner with people. He shared wine and bread and had a good time with people. And he listened. Like the God of the universe doesn't need to listen, but he listens. And we can be quick to listen and we can be like him. He says, slow to speak, slow to react. Don't be a reactor. Slow to speak. Like I said, people at a party, one-uppers, just love to kind of, they're waiting for their opportunity and they didn't hear a thing you said and boom, they just want to jump in and say their, their awesome story. It's like, well, I, I ran up this mountain the other day. It was great. Oh, I did, I did um, you know, the biggest mountain in the world. It's like, okay, buddy, like, all right, settle down, you know, like just, you, don't, you know, it's not all about you. But he's saying he's slow to speak because these Jewish people under persecution wanted to say something out of frustration. And I don't know about you if you've been on Facebook recently, but there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of people reacting to a lot of different things on Facebook. And they, you know, it could also say, be slow to type. <laughs> be slow to post. Yeah. Don't post that. Be slow. Be slow to post. Be, be slow to type. Be slow to um, tweet. I don't know if anyone uses Twitter anymore, but like, that's where I mean. That's it's, it's argument city, and James is saying this isn't going to set us apart. To be a community that follows Jesus, this shouldn't be the thing that defines us. That we are we're just rushing into arguments and quarrelsome moments, and. It's almost from a pure desire, like, mm, I want my opinion. I need, I need to let them know what God thinks. Oh, I need to let Facebook people know what the Bible thinks. And we rush in with these conversations and with this attitude of anger and frustration because we feel there's injustice happening. But James says, be slow to speak. Be slow to repost." Sometimes it's easier to like, oh, I'll repost that because it says what I want to say, but I didn't really say it so people won't attack me too much. Be slow to repost. I love, there's a proverb, and I forgot to find it. I'm sorry. But it says, even a fool seems wise when they don't say anything. How good is that? So, just don't say anything. Jesus, again, is the ultimate example. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He went to the cross, willingly went to the cross to sacrifice his life for us, to pay for the sins of the world. And he said nothing. All he said was, it is finished. All he said was, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He was slow to speak, the Savior of the world, God himself, who could say all kinds of amazing things. Didn't say a thing. Slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. These Jewish people, they were angry. They were frustrated. They wanted to lash out in violence. Later in James, we're going to see that he was commanding them not to because some of them were actually tempted Physical violence in their cause, in their pursuit. They were so hell-bent on being zealous for God and the injustice that was happening that they felt they needed to take matters into their own hands. And he says, slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. I think of Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane in this moment. So Jesus is like, it's late at night. Jesus is with his crew. He's with his like little gangster crew, his little posse. And, uh, and the guards are coming to arrest him. The guards are coming to arrest him. They're coming to get him. Jesus knows what's going on. And all of a sudden, Peter is like, it's about to go down. Like, he's like, I see some action. I see some action about to happen. This is it. Jesus is going to take over. It's all about to happen. And he's going to set himself up as king. We're going to take over. There's going to be a new kingdom. Yes, everything Jesus has been saying is about to happen. Jesus is just like... And he jumps out with a sword, chops the guy's ear off, just lashes out with anger, thinking this is the right thing to do. This is how the kingdom of God is going to be established and happen and everything's about to go down. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 Peter, I just, I don't like how we look as a family unit right now. This is not a good look. This is, I mean, everything I've been teaching. What have you, what are you doing? Where did you even get a sword from? Like, I would have I thought I would have seen the sword at one point. I didn't see it. Where did you conceal that? He's like, no, this is not how the kingdom of God is going to be established. Through your own will and through your own anger and frustration and taking matters into your own hands, even though it might seem like it's the best thing to do and there's some kind of outcome and action. No. He's like, be slow to anger. He's like, it's not going to happen the way you think. And he finishes this moment. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That righteousness can be translated into the redemptive kingdom on earth, that his goodness outworked upon the earth. He says, these things do not produce God's redemptive kingdom on the earth and in our lives. It's not going to work out the way you think. That post isn't going to have a kingdom effect on the people that are going to see it. Your reaction in that conversation isn't going to have the outcome that you desire, that you think God is at work and going to work through. No. He says, be slow to anger because your attitude of anger attached to that, you might be correct, you might be right, but it kind of nullifies the work of God and we get in the way. I mean... I'm learning this as a father. I just I see my kids doing things I don't want. It's frustrating. I just want to say, just stop. Just stop doing that. If you stop, it'll be it'll be fine. I'll uh, uncontrollably crying. If you just stop crying, you know, it's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be great if you just stop. And sometimes I think we can be in our workplaces, in our universities, and and we don't know how to extend or advance the kingdom of God, and sometimes we're just, like, stop, don't do that. You know, we just want to we would be the sin police and run around town telling people what not to do. But he's saying, no, out of your frustration and anger, this is not how the kingdom of God is going to be moved forward. Let's move on to the next part. Oh, he says, this is, will not produce the righteousness God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. <laughs> James, moral filth, that's some full-on language, he says, get rid of all the things that aren't God. And I love that it says moral filth. It's like moral filth. It feels like these, these two words juxtapose each other. But he's saying the things that you think are moral, but they're not aligned with God's will, there's actually filth. He's like, you might feel like it's good, but if it's not God's version, if it's not God's good, it's not good at all. And he says, get rid of everything that's not of God. He says, humbly, Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This word that he's talking about is the gospel that these Jewish people received. He's saying, Humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept the gospel that you first received, that you are saved by grace through faith and not of your works, of nothing else that Jesus has saved and paid for your sin. Humbly accept, and this this word accept can be humbly welcome or humbly absorb the reality of what God has done for you, because this can save you. And he launches into the next point, which is almost... It's almost a piece of art how he jumps into the next point. He says, Do not merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And anyone who, listens to, uh, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and therefore looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I love this. He continues the theme of be a responder, don't be a reactor. He says, he's saying to the Jewish community, saying, he's saying, we need to be people that respond to the Word of God that we received on the inside of, we need to be the people who respond to God in life rather than to react to the circumstances of life. We need to be responders, not reactors. And this is the, it's a masterful little illustration that he uses here. He says, Don't just listen to the word. We've got to understand. I mean, the Jewish people did exactly what we're doing now. They went to synagogue, and primarily, the, the words that everything that they learned through scripture was audible, was oral. They learnt through community. I mean, we do it the same now as well. We learn so much within community. And they did the same thing, but they majoritively heard the word of God spoken, taught in community, in synagogue. And James, they know exactly what he's talking about here because they would come and they would listen to the greatest ideas, the new things. I mean, who here listens to podcasts? You might listen to podcasts, preaching on YouTube, whatever it might be. We have so much access to information today. Like we can, at our fingertips, we have more power. If information is power, we have more power at our fingertips than like the Roman emperor had at this time in history, and he's saying, listening isn't the complete picture. He's like, you might feel really good just listening to all this fantastic information. And oh my goodness, do we have some information? But he's like, it feels incomplete, doesn't it? We have a lot of understanding up here. But he says, the one who merely listens to the Word and doesn't do it deceives himself. Has himself on. He's... he's He's, he's kidding himself. The one who just listens or the one who thinks, I've got the information, therefore it's as good as done. He's like, no, it's incomplete. It's not the full picture. And he uses this illustration of someone looking in a mirror and going away and forget. And we probably think, hey, how do you forget what you look like? Like, I don't get this. How do we look, How do we forget what we look like? And we don't realize or we forget or don't think about it. I didn't until I started looking into this that they didn't have many mirrors in, like, in the first century. <laughs> they didn't have many mirrors. They have hardly any. Only rich, really wealthy people had mirrors. And I was struck by the idea that there was a time in history where people didn't know what they looked like. Isn't that fascinating? Like, people had no idea what they looked like. People had no clue. And so, these Jewish people know that only rich people have mirrors, and that, People would hardly have access to a mirror, and it would only be in short moments that they would see themselves in a mirror. So you might be 20 years old, and you see yourself for the first time. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he says, someone who sees himself in a mirror and goes away and forgets is like someone who listens but doesn't do And you might think, oh, that means we need to look harder into the mirror. We need to like really focus, take notes, do a little sketch of what I look like so I don't forget. And and that's all good. But the focus in this passage is really on the forgetting what you look like is akin to not doing what you've listened to. It's not focused on you need to look harder or you need to listen harder. The focus is, hey, we need to make sure that we are outworking or that we are responding to the Word of God rather than just remembering or listening or memorizing. And this, this moment in Scripture actually has, uh, it's, got like, it's, got a, it's got a double layer meaning. When he's talking about looking in the mirror at, at yourself, he's actually talking about looking at the image of God or who God has created you to be. Uh, one translation or one commentary says, The person who hears the word of God but does not listen is like one who sees what God has made him or her to be, the imago Day, the image of God, but does not let the imago Day or the image of God shape his or her life. That our response to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, starts to shape our life. I love what Judah Smith says that when we read the book of James, and there is a lot of debate in the theological world happening around the book of James because he's so focused on doing, right? So he says we've got to remember that he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers, a community of believers who have said yes to Jesus. They received grace by faith alone. He's talking to a saved people. So when he's saying... Hey, do all these things. He's not saying you do all these things to get to God or to do all these things that you reach to God or somehow somehow attain God's favour or something like that. No, he's just, he's saying you're in. You're in. It's okay, you're in. You're saved. You're in the family of God. He says, you're not out. You're just missing out on the fullness that God has for you. You're not out. You're just missing out. There's more that God has for us. There's more that He has. And as our personal trainer, James, is sharing with us, he's like, hey, there's more in you. God has more for you. There is a blessing to come because of doing these things. It says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Those who respond, and the only way you can respond to God, respond to the word of God is to experience God. Is to spend time with Him. To spend time in His Word, is to look into this perfect law. What is what does this mean, looking into this perfect law? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or look at the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I tell you what, go to Corinthians, this whole passage, this whole moment, almost echoes what James is saying throughout this book. It is phenomenal. He's talking about the new covenant. He's saying that those who contemplate the Lord's glory or what God has done for us, the goodness of God, when we contemplate who God has truly created us and made us to be, that we are sons and daughters of the God Most High and that is not some cranky man in heaven trying to like ruin our fun with a whole bunch of commands, that He is Dad, He is Father God, He is Saviour God and He's saying, I want the best for you. I created you to be like this. I formed you in your mother's womb. I thought of this the other day, that God decided you. He decided you. Isn't that phenomenal? That God had you in His mind, and He decided you into being. And when we contemplate and spend time with Him, we see who we truly are. Oh, wow. And we look in the mirror. Oh, my goodness. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Sometimes we might get glimpses of this, and we go away, and we end up back in kind of this old moment. We might be saved. We might be we're going to heaven, we're in, it's fine, we're in the family of God, but we, we're we not operating with the full understanding of who we are. We have glimpses and we forget what we look like and we move on and we wonder why are things just not feeling right? Why do I feel fractured and not whole? And God's saying contemplate me. Come and be with me and you'll see who you truly are and out of that your response and your life is going to show and you're going to act and you're going to walk in who you truly are. You're not going to walk in who the enemy says you are. You might have believed a whole lot of lies that the enemy taught you. He has a different mirror held up in front of you and we shouldn't look at it because they're lies. We should look at who God has said and called us to be, and that's when we're going to realize I am. He's put a robe on me, He's put a ring on my finger, He loves me, He's put the fattened calf on the spit. This is how much God loves me. He has a plan and a purpose, and I'm going to walk in confidence in who God has called me to be, not what the accuser says I am, not what the enemy says I am, or this person or that person. I'm not going to be defined, or the image of my life will not be defined by the other things that have been said about me. But only by what God says about me. Only by what God says about me. And you might be here right now battling with like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, just this stuff's happened. I've done this. I'm no. God said, God, God washed you clean. He washed you so clean that it is hard to comprehend. But by the Holy Spirit, He can He can give you the revelation of how how clean He has made you. It is phenomenal. And from that moment is where we respond and we walk in who God has called us to be. That's where the doing comes from. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If hearing hearing is the beginning of faith, the doing or the responding is the completion of faith. It's the completion of faith. Later in James, he's going to talk about faith without works is dead. It's pretty harsh language. If that's the, that's that kind of famous verse in James. If that's the famous verse, this definitely sets the stage. And so I just want us to stand this morning. Run out a bit of time to go through the rest. But this is really the crux of this script part of Scripture in this moment. Is that our doing comes from who we are. And if our doing isn't aligning with the Word of God, with God Himself, the work we have to do is not try harder to do. We're going to go be with Him. We're going to find out who we are. Because it shows I've forgotten who I am. I've forgotten who He says I am. If my life isn't aligning, if I'm fractured, I've forgotten who I am. I need to go back to my Father. I need to go talk to Him. Remind me, Lord. Remind me, Father, who You say I am. This is a constant thing for us. And I know I'm not alone. We all here have moments like this where we, we know who we are, but we forget. And I just want us to spend a moment just to calm and contemplate Him Jesus the Father the Holy Spirit so let's just take a moment let's just wait I just want to pray for us raise your hands whatever you need to do just to just to focus on God in this moment Lord Holy Spirit I thank you that you're here you call us sons and daughters your word says come boldly into the throne room Thank you that you're a good father. You're going to chase us off. but Your arms are open wide. And we know we don't act out who we really are sometimes. So, God, we need you. Show us right now how much you love us. Show us who you call us to be. Sons and daughters. That we have been made clean, white as snow. By your blood, Jesus, shed on the cross, you paid for it all. You paid for our past sin, current sin that we know or don't know that we're doing, and our future sin. God, you paid for it all. You paid the price for all of it. And you say the the path has been paid for. You can come to me. You can come boldly to me. It doesn't matter. Turn away from the the old self, come to me. I'm going to make you a new creation. So right now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Remind us who we are, Lord. You're here this morning and um, and you've never said, you might have been in church a long time or you might be visiting for the first time. and And it's only been right now that you've realized that following Jesus or saying yes to his free gift of grace, that he paid for all your sin on the cross, that you don't have to do a thing. Maybe you've been doing it in your own strength and you've just got the realisation that you don't. You don't need to, that He did it all. And that He saved you all by Himself and you don't need to do a thing except accept this free gift. If you're here this morning, if you've never accepted that free gift, I just want to, I want to provide an opportunity for you to say yes. Just to say yes to God. So with every eye closed... If you're here this morning, I just want to see it. Just give me a wave, and I'd love to pray for you. If that's you and you're saying, I've, I've never said yes to that, I just want to see your hand. We, we never want to leave a service without giving an opportunity for someone to say yes. So if that's you this morning, I just want to create a moment just for you to say yes. Right now, just stick up your hand. Give me a little wave. You don't have to prepare yourself for Jesus. You don't have to get ready for Jesus.